Hi, and welcome to The Boobie Girls, a podcast from two friends dedicated to answering the age-old question, which was better, the book or the movie? I'm Rosha. And I'm a very excited Hannah for this episode. <laughs> and if you want to hear more from the Boovy Girls and a very excited Hannah, uh, you can join us on Patreon. All you have to do to become a patron is go to patreon.com forward slash the Boovy Girls, where you can see all of our, or hear all of our bonus content, including our Boovy serials, which we're doing um, next week. We'll be releasing little tidbit, but we'll be releasing our first episode for five five <laughs> nine perfect strangers uh but this week on the actual uh podcast we are covering hannah's one of hannah's favorite movies yes. and we'll see if it'll be a favorite book as well once upon a time in hollywood yes and i have titled this one effing handle it randy <laughs> which is my favorite line in the whole movie poor randy Except it doesn't say he doesn't say effing he doesn't say effing poor randy with that awful life of hers oh, so great um all right so Unlike any of our recent or any really of our other episodes, um, this book came out after the movie. Yes. Which I think to our knowledge, this is the only time or that I've seen where this has happened. Correct. However, I mean, I, from what I learned though, is that the book was actually written before the movie, but it was released after the movie. Fascinating. So. All right. So the book originally published June 29th, 2021. So only a couple months ago. I literally bought it the day it was announced. So. <laughs> I know. You were very, very excited. Um, and it's written, obviously, by Quentin Tarantino. It has a Goodreads rating of four out of five, and it's 400 pages. Exactly 400 pages. Exactly 400 pages. So the movie came out in 2019, so just a couple years ago. Um, it's rated R. It's a comedy drama, which is so interesting. Um, it's two hours and 41 minutes long, and I love every second of it. I was going to say. Uh, um, so it's directed and screenwritten by Quentin Tarantino, who after doing like I everyone knows who Quentin Tarantino I is. I love his movies. So, but what I didn't know is that he has pretty much written every single one of the movies that he's directed. Oh, so okay. he's written all of the Kill Bill movies. Uh-huh. Um, the third one is coming out in a, like next year or the year after. He wrote The Hateful Eight, uh, Django Unchained, Inglorious Bastards, Pulp Fiction, all of that. So, and he doesn't have an Oscar for directing he actually has two oscars both coming from writing the screenplays of django and pulp pulp, pulp fiction hmm. so i wonder if you should just stick to screenwriting and have someone else direct yeah i don't know it's, i thought <laughs> i that do was love so his directing though i think his movies are so well executed and just so different from anything right. else you like see you out know there. it's a quentin tarantino 100 he puts his like stamp on it and you're just like yeah that's definitely a tarantino movie yeah i thought it was just so fascinating because everyone knows him yeah as a director have you seen some of his like older movies like um, reservoir dogs pulp i have fiction. never seen reservoir dogs obviously i've seen pulp fiction yeah. that's probably the oldest movie i've seen okay i I, t- I think it was probably a couple years ago i took it upon myself to like watch some of his mm-hmm. older stuff so i watched pulp fiction for the first time i watched reservoir dogs mm-hmm. obviously inglorious bastards all of those are yeah. you know great too i'm sure there's a few that i probably haven't seen yet but i absolutely love yeah him. i think he's so great so good. But he's not everyone's cup of tea. I right. But that. I do feel like he should definitely have an Oscar for directing. Yeah, that is surprising. By that now. That's weird. Yeah. So the IMDb synopsis of the movie reads, a faded television actor and a stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969, Los Angeles. Yes. 
So some interesting facts. Uh, obviously, uh, as we mentioned, uh, Tarantino wrote the book. It is his debut novel. He did sign a two-book deal with HarperCollins, the publisher mm-hmm. who um, published this novel. Uh, so... I'm assuming, because I I looked that he also is planning a follow-up to this book that is going to be strictly about the films of Rick Dalton. Mm. So I'm thinking that's probably book number two in the the deal, which should be interesting. Yeah, because I told you, because I read the actual copy of the Mm -hmm. book. You read it on Kindle, um, or listened to it, I think. Um, A little bit of both. Yeah, and at the back page, you know, like on most novels, there is like, more from this author mm-hmm. or whatever. There's an advertisement for the hardcover extended version and more stories of Rick and Cliff. <laughs> okay, so I wonder if it's just that, yeah. just an extended version. Um, so this book, the one we're talking about today, it debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. You're welcome. Or I fiction, I should say. Bestseller You're welcome. List. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned the deluxe edition of the uh, the one that's coming out later. It's going to include memorabilia, a script from Bounty Law that... <laughs> which is the show that he's on um, or was previously on. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, A, you need to get that copy. Oh, I'm definitely buying it. (laughs) And B, you should probably like put it in one of those shadow boxes. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Present it. Um, And then uh, the audio book, which is what I listened to, is narrated by Jennifer Jason Leigh, who you'll know as uh, the female character in The Hateful Eight. Oh, yeah. Remember, she has like blonde Mm -hmm. hair. It was so funny because the whole time I'm like, man, her voice is very familiar. But of course, I never Googled it. And then I looked at it. I'm actually surprised they had a female do the audiobook of this. I was too, to be honest, but, and we'll talk about this. It's very much written like a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really like a narrated style where yeah. like it's in first person necessarily right. where it would need to be in a, you know, a, a male voice. And I do feel like the majority of books that I've listened to are narrated mm-hmm. by females. Right. I don't know if they just have like a more soothing tone or yeah. what, what it is. Um, unless it's narrated by, um, Morgan Freeman, I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Um, And then last but not least, once it was published, it did become number one selling book on Amazon. Again, thanks to Hannah and other fans of Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) So did you like reading, like, did you enjoy listening to this? Uh, Don't you ask me that at the end if I like the book? Yeah, but we're just talking about the book because, I mean, I think it's important to talk about that. Like you said, it's very much written kind of like a script. Yeah. But I mean, I've read it, read it, and being someone who's who isn't like a, a super good reader, yeah. and I struggle through books, I found it very easy to read, That's and maybe good. because I know the story too, I was able to follow along with it. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed the way it was written because you could tell like. This isn't a normal book. Quentin Tarantino's not a normal human being. He's probably an alien. You know what I mean? Yeah. I enjoyed it. I just found it was different. I I struggled with it a little bit more, probably because I'm just used to the other styles of writing, which is very much, you know, narrated first person. We have multiple points of view, but Mm -hmm. it's still narrated by those characters. Um, In addition to that, like... I get why he did it. Because we get that in the movie, too. We have a narrator. I think it's... I can't remember who it is who narrates. We'll talk about it in um, a minute. Okay, there you go. Um, but I get why yeah. he did it. I just, it wasn't my favorite, I should yeah. say. So the movie, it has a 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty good. I would think it'd be higher than that. It would be. But I mean, there, like like we said, Quentin Tarantino is not for everybody. That's true. You know, <laughs> there are some pretty graphic scenes in this movie. Mm. Um I've talked about this a million times, especially with you before. I we have a friend that we <laughs> that we know who um, was is on the radio, <laughs> and she 
publicly talked about how she did not like this movie and went on to talk about how she did not stay for the whole movie and walked out of the theater. That's like a no-no in Hannah's book. Oh my gosh. Like, I still don't know if I can fully look at her the same way. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because the last 15 minutes of this movie is what really makes this movie. And the fact that you don't stay for it, like, it still might not be your favorite, but I feel like if you don't watch the whole thing, yeah. you can't have an opinion on didn't it. You can't. Didn't she like leave like before even halfway through? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what like, did you get out of the movie? I just feel like you cannot have a full opinion on a movie unless you've Agreed. seen the whole thing. Anyways, the budget for the movie was $90 million and it uh, made a whopping $374 million wow. worldwide. So success in my <laughs> book. <laughs> it was also nominated for 10 Oscars. Um, it ended up winning two of them, uh, one for supporting role and then one for um, production design which i love in this movie that movie if you didn't know any better Mm -hmm. just looking at it it was in the 60s 100 so they actually took um it took a lot of convincing but they were able to convince one part of hollywood boulevard to let them basically take over it and they fitted all of the outside of those buildings as they were in the 60s um and it, cause it took a lot out of their business. I'm sure they got paid for it yeah. or whatever, but after the filming was done, some of the places asked if they could leave those facades up because they liked cool. the period look of it. Yeah. So, which was so cool. Cause I mean, all the old cars are there. Um, that's all of that's interesting. There. Cause you would think, I mean, isn't it easy just to like recreate that on a movie set? You think so, but yeah. I don't know. But and, I guess it is a bit more authentic if it's physically. Right. And Quentin Tarantino hates CGI ah. from what I've read. Um, so there's one little part in the movie that is CGI. But other than that, everything else was recreated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love it. One thing that we were noticing when we watched the movie, there's like a movie theater on or a cinema on every, <laughs> yeah. like every single, you know, corner. Well, when movies are only 75 cents, I would think, you know, that's well, probably a thing that most people were doing back then. Between that <laughs> and you got to think like these theaters probably weren't very big. So there's probably one, maybe two screens. Right. So that were film the shooting one movie. Right. So well, like, yeah, actually know. there's a scene with Sharon Tate who goes to see her own movie and yeah. that's the only movie playing. Right. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> uh, so the movie was actually, okay let's start back here so hopefully you've all seen this movie if not see it please one of my favorite parts about this movie which is just kind of sick in a way is it combines two of my favorite things movies and true crime (laughs) you know and so unless you're living under a rock you know the charles manson murder case right you know, so I don't want to go into detail about that because everyone should know about it if you don't stop and just go Google it. I give had it a to. Goop. I, I'll, I'll confess. I didn't know it too much prior to actually watching this for the first time. Not this mm-hmm. time around. So I had to do a little bit of Googling <laughs> well, myself. There you go. But anyway, so Sharon Tate obviously was the most famous victim. Again, awful to say. In the Charles Manson yeah. family murders. Um, the movie was actually scheduled to be released um, the day that these murders actually happened. Oh, wow. Um, it ended up getting pushed back for other reasons. Probably for the um, best. <laughs> but it was released, ended up like being in July later or whatever. But I thought that was really creepy. Like, I'm almost happy it didn't. I feel like it just adds, I mean, I get it. It adds an element of yeah. like creepiness, but I think it's yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so going back to the set part of this movie, um, we see the Playboy Mansion mm-hmm. and it actually is the Playboy Mansion. Oh. Um, Quentin Tarantino 
not surprising, has visited the Playboy Mansion a few <laughs> times. So um, they were able to actually get the rights to come in and, wow. and film there, which I thought was cool. That is cool. So only I feel like only a handful of people will probably be able to actually do that. For sure. <laughs> for sure. So going back to Sharon Tate um, that we were talking about just a bit ago, um, I thought you would think that this was interesting. Mm-hmm. So... She in the movie she visits that bookstore and she picks up a um, original copy of I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of this yeah, I don't book, even know it. <laughs> but it's this famous very old book that she was getting as a gift for her husband. Well, in real life, Sharon Tate actually gave that book to Roman Polanski um, on a trip during Europe just before she returned to the United States, and it ended. And she thought like. She gave it to him. She's like, I think this could be a really good movie. And I would love to star in this movie. Oh, wow. Um, that was the last time that Roman Polanski saw her alive. Oh, he ended wow. up going on to adapt that book into the movie Tess in 1979 that he... Um, dedicated to her wow so that's crazy i know so there's so much like little nuances like this throughout the movie that just make this movie like phenomenal if you take the time to like really look at these details because i mean to your point like obviously there's a lot of true crime in it a lot of things that were or a lot of characters that are real people um but tarantino kind of puts his own spin on it right. so like something you may think you know about steve mcqueen isn't necessarily true because tarantino right. decided to <laughs> kind of twist exactly it, it, it makes it interesting oh yeah i know ray's like are you like gonna go and like fact check all this stuff and i was like absolutely not like no, who knows we're covering the book and movie <laughs> right not covering the real facts <laughs> yeah um there is there is um a theory out there that the Rick and Cliff characters are actually inspired by Burt Reynolds and his real life um, stuntman. So there's a lot of Burt Reynolds um, references um, yeah. throughout this movie. So I thought that was interesting and probably is true. My in the guess long is run. it's probably one of his faves. Yeah. I would have to say. Um, also along those lines, um, kind of p- paying um, homage to these great actors and directors. Um, it's said that um, Sergio Leone is like one of the big influences in Quentin Tarantino's life and his career. And it's said that he actually um, named this movie based on two movies that he had directed, um, which were called Once Upon a Time in, in the West and Once Upon a Time in America. Hmm. So he wanted to make a movie that paid homage to him, which was kind of cool. So in the DVD, well, and really in the, if you watch in the movie theater, which I never actually saw, I just read about this. Oh, you didn't see it in the theater? No, I did see it in the theater. Oh, I did oh, see it okay. in the theater. But there is a post-credit scene in this in this movie. You know what's funny? I thought about fast-forwarding, and I was like, no, probably not. So I just yeah, did it. It's not really a post-credit scene. It's a post-credit commercial for Red Apple um, ah. cigarettes, which is noted a lot in the movie and in the book. And it, it's Leo doing the commercial That's really <laughs> for funny. Red Apple cigarettes. That's really funny. Uh, lastly, I thought this was fascinating. This doesn't have really anything to do with the book or movie, but it's referenced in them. So in the book and the movie, Cliff, we talk about Cliff killing his wife. Mm-hmm. Um. Also in the book and the movie, the movie or the movie, we hear a lot about of about KHJ radio. Mm-hmm. So and especially this uh, jock, this boss jock, as they called him, was humble Harvey Miller, who was a real on air um, radio guy who actually killed his wife. Oh, which is very interesting. So I was like, all right, I got to give this a goog. <laughs> so I gave him a goog. Come to find out he was this like crazy 
popular radio boss mm-hmm. DJ during this time. And in 1971, he killed his wife. Wow. And he went to jail, but only was in jail for three years because he claimed that um, she came at him with a gun and mm, he didn't mean defense. to kill her. Yeah. Yada, yada. Got out of jail and then went on to have a radio career after he got out of jail as wow. well. So I was like, this is fascinating. Well, we, I mean, you still work in radio. I used to work in radio. We always say that, like, we could essentially get away with murder. No one's going to do Literally, anything. Literally, I'm pretty sure, sh- like, <laughs> it, it's always like, are you sure we don't want to drug test everybody? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, the this crazy- is a real life example. Yeah, the crazier family. the better, man. So very interesting. So I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> very, very interesting. <laughs> um, all right. So the cast of the movie, I mean, star freaking studded. Yeah. So obviously, let's start with Rick Dalton, who in the story is the kind of washed up actor on his he's the leo his, of the movie because right. leo took it took leo a while to really get recognized for yeah his, it really did his played work. obviously by leonardo dicaprio um he was nominated for an oscar for a leading role for this um role but didn't get it um this was after he won his oscar for the revenant <clears throat> I mean, we've seen him in The Great Gatsby, um, which I think might be the only other book. At, oh, I think he's in like What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Is it Shutter Island a book? Oh, yeah, you're right. I think it Shutter might Island's be. a book. So, yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's a couple. He's in a couple of them. Um, he's actually going to be playing uh, Theodore Roosevelt in an upcoming film um, named Roosevelt, which I'll think will be very interesting. Um, so he had actually worked with Quentin Tarantino um, before in Django Unchained, mm-hmm. which I love him in that movie. Great movie. And he was so eager to work with Quentin Tarantino again that he actually ended up having a 25% pay cut just so he could be in this film. I think it was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> um, his usual salary supposedly is $20 million. That seems like it's not high enough. Are you joking? That's a lot of Compared money. Compared to how much money some of these like baseball and football players get, like 20 but or 20 million is like chump change to some people. Not to me, but true. But you also got to remember, like, sometimes filming is only like a couple weeks. True. (laughs) You know what I mean? A couple couple weeks worth. I don't know. I just think Leo's worth more than that. (laughs) That's all. Of course. (laughs) Um, I absolutely love him in this film. There's a lot of stories about him ad libbing a lot of things. Oh. Um, The scene that I love where he's in the trailer yelling at himself mm-hmm. is completely ad lib. Oh, I love that. Um, so yeah, so there's just a bunch of different things and I yeah. thought he killed this, this role. I don't know if I've mentioned this on our great Gatsby episode, but Leonardo DiCaprio is, was, and is, um, mm-hmm. will forever be my very first crush. Oh yeah. Celebrity crush. <laughs> so like he could literally just sit down and read a like address book or like a phone book right. and I would watch it. And I would still think it was fascinating. He is just, (laughs) like, like, so great. Yeah. I, like, really love him. I love him, too. And, like, I can't, like, I feel like there's still so much more of him we have yet to see. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he's going to be one of those that, like, is 80 and still making movies. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So, 10 out of 10 for me. Moving on to Cliff Booth, who is the stuntman for Rick Dalton in this story, played by Brad Pitt, who actually won an Oscar for his role in this movie um, uh, for a supporting role. So, and I mean, the book is uh, is very Cliff heavy. Yes. Um, so we get a lot more about Cliff in the book. Um, 
but obviously we know Brad Pitt from Moneyball that we just did, Fight Club. Um, there were talks that Tom Cruise would have taken this role. And Ew. There's no way I would have liked this movie if Tom Cruise was Ew. in that role. That would have been terrible. But I also don't know how you could pull that off knowing that he's supposed to be Leonardo DiCaprio's right. stunt double. Like, Brad Pitt's a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> um, but you'll believe yeah, no, it. For sure. Um even though I literally just gushed about Leo, I personally think that Brad Pitt stole the show. Oh, he amazing. Um, it's it's interesting now having read the book, knowing how much more cliff there is to yeah. tell. Because <laughs> I do think he is the star of this, yeah. this show and or this movie. But like, I don't think it's a supporting. I don't think it's a, a supporting role. It's really not. But I do think I will give credit to Brad. I think he's the reason mm-hmm. that it kind of. You know, went right. ab- above and beyond. And he also ad libs and stuff. So you know the scene where he drops Rick off at the set, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Hey, Rick, you're effing Rick yeah. Dalton." Totally ad libbed. That's interesting because mm-hmm. it's in the book. Yeah. Huh. So I don't know. Cool. Um, but anyway, so Leo and Brad actually are like became really really close during this movie. Um, that they just want to do another film together because they were, thought they did so well together. That makes me happy. Yeah. I'm ready for I would that. love <laughs> to see that again. And Tarantino actually said that he felt like he hit the jackpot being able to work with both of them. 100%. Like, that's like movie gold right, right there. I'm wondering if Brad took a pay cut for this. Probably not. Probably not. But he won an Oscar for it, so it's fine. <laughs> um, all right, moving on. Uh, James Stacy. I just had to talk about him. So James Stacy is, he is another actor in this movie. He's playing the lead role in this Western series that Rick is in. And it's played by uh, Timmy, Timothy Oliphant, who he's in the um, TV show Fargo. And then he was also in a series that I love and was so sad when it ended, uh, Santa Clarita Diet oh, with yeah. Drew Barrymore. And I was obsessed and I loved that, that show. I was show. so sad about it. Um, again, he, James Stacy is another character that we learn a lot more about mm-hmm. in the book. Um, but I didn't fully buy Timothy Oliphant for this character. That's fair. Um, he wasn't my favorite in this role. Well, and he's, like you said, they talk more about this show and this character. It, it's funny. I, I don't mind him for Jim Stacy. I didn't buy him for his role right. in the show. Like, because <laughs> yeah. there he's described as very rugged and like just like gritty and, and I'm like, like half Hispanic, right? And I'm like, you look like a pretty white boy, yeah, like, Johnny Madrid, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. So I don't know if that was on purpose or what, Who but knows? didn't fully buy him. Uh, next character is Sharon Tate. Obviously, we know her from the Manson murders, but she was also a very up-and-coming actress mm-hmm. um, during that time, is played by Margot Robbie, who I love her. Girl crush. Oh, my Big gosh. Big time girl crush. <laughs> um, she has two Oscar nominations, not for this role, but for I, Tanya and Bombshell. Um, but we know her very much so now as Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. She's basically has taken that role forever. Yeah. I don't know if anyone could take that. I haven't know. seen those movies, but, like, I know. She's phenomenal. Yeah, I know her she is, as that. She is so versatile when she could have been pigeonholed so yeah so quickly in 100%. this industry i mean she's harley quinn but we saw her in wolf of wall street we saw her in once upon a time in hollywood but then she's doing an upcoming movie called barbie where she plays barbie You're joking and it's ta- and it's all about the barbie and mattel and all that stuff so oh, i love that so she 
she goes to these roles that could pigeonhole her, but then also has all these other great roles. Right. So. I think it's a testament to her, her acting ability. I think she's so good. I love her in Wolf of Wall Street. I think yeah. she's so good in that. And again, perfect for this role too. And again, I'll just keep saying it. Girl crush. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it helped that she looks almost exactly like Sharon Tate. Right. She's beautiful right she might be Sharon Tate reincarnated who knows honestly um so there was a lot of skepticism when they decided to make this movie um mostly because because of the families of the victims of the Manson murders especially Sharon Tate her sister thought that Margot Robbie portrayed her and represented her in such a beautiful way in this movie that she was like totally on board with That's it. That's huge. Yeah. And she actually ended up giving them some of Sharon Tate's actual jewelry oh, for wow. Margot to, to wear during this film. That's crazy. So I thought that was cool because I thought that that was going to be a big like sticking point for a lot of people. <laughs> right. Uh, so Jay Sebring um, in the movie, who is one of Sharon Tate's friends, but who she was engaged to at mm. one point, who also does all their hair. <laughs> who was actually a real life victim in the Manson murders is played by um, Emile Hirsch, Mm -hmm. who we know um, from covering into the wild. Uh, He actually looks quite a bit like Jay Sebring. Um, I just, I loved in the movie when they point at that one part, she's like, well, Sharon definitely has a type. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, because I didn't talk about, I didn't mention the guy who, who played Roman Polanski in the movie, but he's very like Polish and he kind of looks like Emil Hirsch. It's it's very funny. Uh, Roman Polanski reminded me of um, Mike Myers in uh, what's it called? What's that movie called? This movie series. Austin Powers. Yes, Austin Powers. <laughs> yes, yes. I realized he, that character is British, but you know what I mean. Right, I totally get it. Um, but yeah, Emil Hirsch, I thought he was great, and I thought he was a good little um, asset to this movie. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have too many parts, but for what yeah. he was made to do, to it. yeah, it was fine. Um, just a couple other people. Don't, I'm not going to go into great detail about um, a lot of these people, but the people who played, or the actors that played Abigail Folger and Votek, uh, Frutowski, I think is his name. Um, the other two victims in the Ma- Manson murders actually looked pretty similar to what to what they were. So I thought they didn't. Those other two didn't really have much of a role in the film. And I'm wondering if maybe they didn't get the sign off for mm, the families, true. or they just didn't feel like they wanted to add them yeah. to it. So is it um, just four victims? Um, I think there Total. was another one or another two, but I don't know if they were at the house with them. Um, But yeah, but Abigail Folger was the heiress to the Folger coffee um, family. It's like her great, great grandfather or something. So she was in line to inherit. I mean, wow. Boatloads of money. So very, very fascinating. Um, A couple other people that I can't not talk about that were in this film. Dakota Fanning's in here. Luke Perry is in this film, which was his very last film that he was in before he passed away. Al Pacino's in here. Um, Lena Dunham is Mm -hmm. in here. And Kurt Russell, who is the narrator of the entire (laughs) film as well. (laughs) So, I mean, it's just funny how these like outlying characters are, have huge people playing them. Well, Al Pacino being the absolute utmost yeah. biggest one. Like, well, he has, Quint- what, two scenes, maybe? Right, and Quentin Tarantino actually wrote that role for Al Pacino. Oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, all-star cast. Uh, Timothy Oliphant is probably the only miss for me in this entire thing. That's fair. I would, I'd probably say the same. Although, maybe... 
I think I have a hard time seeing Dakota Fanning yeah. in that type of role. Yeah, but again, no. her, her role is so minimal that it right. doesn't even matter. Exactly. <laughs> All right. I'm going to keep it short and sweet for who said it since we got a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, so your first quote is, you're a little man with a big mouth and a big chip. Oh, gosh. Cliff. Yes. <laughs> uh, to my wife and all my sweethearts, may they never meet. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that is... Oh, gosh. Um, why am I blanking? Uh, Schwarz. No, no, it's actually Rick uh, as his character Caleb in Lancer. Uh, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Last but not least, I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's Ooh, business. Ooh, that's Tex. Yeah. Or Rex. <laughs> or Rex, depending on who you ask. <laughs> All right, your options for F. Mary Kill are Rick, Cliff, and Sharon Tate. Ooh. I don't want to kill any of them. <laughs> um, all right, I guess I will have to... Um, I'll have to kill Rick because he's just not stable. Not at all. <laughs> like, at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, I will. I'm going to marry Sharon Tate because she's just like good vibes, man. <laughs> like, she's just happy. And I will go to the back lot with, with Cliff. Uh, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I just can't see myself living in a trailer in the back of a movie, um, drive-in movie well, lot. And so. he killed his wife. Well, that too. <laughs> but also, like, Sharon Tate's beautiful. Right. So. <laughs> All right. So we're going to do this a little bit differently than we normally do. So I'm scared. I feel like I won't be able to, like, keep up with you. But I'll take your lead. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, so... Instead of going through the timeline of the movie, because the movie is very long, um, I just thought, reading this book, one of the reasons why I loved it so much is that, I mean, this kind of happens, I guess, in most book-to-movie adaptations, but we get a lot of backstories Mm -hmm. of different things that happen in the movie, and I just love that part about it. So I figured, let's just pull out some of these backstories and kind of talk about those. Sounds good. I thought they were kind of cool. So, um... The one thing that I thought was just funny right off the bat is um, the billboard that lives in Rick's driveway. That's right. <laughs> so in the movie, we see Rick and Cliff driving in and out of his driveway throughout the movie. And in the driveway, there's a giant billboard of Rick's face. Mm-hmm. Did you totally get Shining vibes from that picture? Oh, for sure. That's I what I thought it was originally. That's what I thought it was, too. But it's not. And we get the backstory of where this billboard came from in the book. Yeah, it's like a section of a a, a full-blown billboard. Rick absolutely hates it. He wants nothing to do with it. He's told Cliff, like, multiple times, like, Get rid of it. I want. Not, I don't want it. Right. And Rick's like, or Cliff's like, where am I supposed to put it? I right. don't know where to put it. But it's so funny because in the movie, there's no context to it. Not at all. They don't mention it. So <laughs> it just looks like, oh, this Rick guy has a giant picture of his face <laughs> in his driveway. He must be obsessed with right. himself. When in reality, the book tells us that he hates it. And he just wants to get rid Absolutely of it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so another, at the beginning of the movie, we were talking about Al Pacino um, Mr. Schwarz. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't Schwarz get it wrong. <laughs> or whatever. Um, so a little bit different. That meeting in the movie happens in, um, in, his in a bar, but in the book it's yeah. in his office. Yeah. Um, one <laughs> extra scene we get in the book is Cliff hitting on the receptionist. <laughs> so Cliff's an interesting character as we learn in the book. Like we said, there's a lot more to Cliff. Right. Um, but he, he's somewhat of a womanizer. He likes oh, his yeah. women. Um, and he, yeah, he full blown like hits on her. He's like, Hey, do you like like raunchy movies? Cause like, I'll take you to, to one. Right. And she's like, um, and then she thinks, well, he's not 
Mr. Schwartz's client. Yeah. You know, maybe it's okay. And they do. They end up actually, you know, making plans to go see a movie. <laughs> so funny. And I think that's the only date they ever go on. No, yeah, that's it. Yeah. But it's just so funny because we find out that, I mean, granted in the movie you pick up on a little bit, like Cliff's a good looking guy. Sure. He's been around. And then we really find out in the book yeah. that he has been through it. <laughs> um, on the same line, in the movie, we hear a lot of just little tidbits about Cliff. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a war hero or whatever. But in the in the book, we really get this full backstory on Cliff. I mean, not full backstory, but we find out that he's like a Vietnam hero. He has two medals of valor. Yeah. Which I don't know, like, how important that is, but I feel like it's pretty important. <laughs> right. And we find out that he has killed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot, a lot of people in the war. Yes. And which a lot I, of Italians, a too. lot of Italians. <laughs> and so that leads into another story that we'll talk about in a little bit. But I mean, and it talks about how he's okay with it. Mm-hmm. He is totally fine. And that kind of turns him into like this great stunt man because he will, he's really up for he's anything. Basically a born killer. <laughs> basically. <laughs> he's basically, should be in a Tom Clancy like, right. book. <laughs> but also we won't cover it. No. No, no, thank you. <laughs> no more Tom Clancy. Uh, so on the same lines, um, Cliff has a dog named Brandy. Oh, Brandy. Brandy is this beautiful chunker <laughs> of a pit bull. She's got the clipped ears. Mm-hmm. She's just fabulous. She ends up really being the MVP of this entire film in, in my book. Um, in the movie, we see Brandy in the trailer and her food. Mm-hmm. We get to see all the gross food she eats. <laughs> but um, how good of a dog she is. She sits and waits until, you know, Cliff tells her it's time to eat. Right. She's very obedient. Yes. Um, but in the book, which is really my favorite part of the book, we get a Brandy backstory. I wish it was a better story. I know. But I know. yes, we do get a backstory. Um, basically what we understand is, so Cliff was owed some money by some guy. Um, the guy is like, bro, I can't pay you. Um, but what I do have is this dog. She's like a born bred um, fight dog. So let's like put her in some of these fights and we'll make a lot of money. So of course, you know, they do it. They both make like a boatload of money. Um, like thousands and yeah, thousands, thousands of, dollars. of dollars, which that's the part I'm like not okay with, obviously. And I know you aren't either, no. but um, they get to a point where uh, she gets into a fight that is almost about to kill her. Essentially Mm -hmm. the fight is called off thankfully, but the guy is like, great. Like we'll do another fight and we'll bet against Brandy jerk. And, uh, Cliff's like, absolutely not. And she's hurt. Yeah. She's fully like, she's obviously like on her last leg essentially. And he's like, absolutely not. We're not doing that. And the guy tries to fight him. So what does Cliff do? He kills him. He kills the guy. (laughs) He kills the guy. (laughs) Uh, If if you're keeping track, this is now murder one. We'll keep going. Um, So, yeah, basically that's kind of Brandy's backstory. Eventually, you know, he takes her in and she becomes his his pet. Well, and that was the one thing I really, I mean, granted, I don't like the dog fighting. But even after he kills the guy. Yeah. He fights Brandy again. Yeah. And then he he retires her. I know. But it makes all the sense in the world to then find out how obedient she mm-hmm. is and then what she does at the end of the movie. Right. And I'm like, oh, it all makes sense now. Brandy 100%. is such a good <laughs> baby. I think she actually is. Um, I read somewhere that in real life, the dog who played Brandy is like a rescue dog, Aww. which is just so great because we both have rescue dogs. You know what would have been even better is if like Brad Pitt adopted Brandy. 
or whatever her real name is. <laughs> Such a good baby. So that, I mean, right there, the book won me over when I yeah. got my Brandy backstory. <laughs> uh, so we've talked a lot about Sharon Tate already. Roman Polanski, we've touched on a little bit. He's a very famous director mm-hmm. who Sharon Tate was married to at the time she was killed. Um, we see that, like, they basically are like the cool new neighbors in town yeah. that moved next door to Rick. And we really just get introduced at to them as the Polanskis. Um, they pull up in this like little roadster and they drive up into the hills or whatever. Mm. Um, but what's kind of cool in the, in the book is that we kind of get a little bit of a backstory on how Sharon got to LA. Right. There's a full chapter, which I was a little confused at first cause they don't mention her name until I think the end of the chapter. So mm-hmm. I'm like, who is this character that they're talking about? But essentially I think she was in Texas um, and she hitchhikes with a guy who um, does uh horse shows or something like that basically he picks her up and he's like where are you going she's like oh i'm going to la i'm trying to you know become an actress or whatever he's like well i'm headed somewhat over there he was going to arizona funnily Mm -hmm. enough and she hitchhikes her way to california to make something of herself basically because she wasn't kind of happy with where her life was at and which is awesome i mean you hear so many stories of people trying to like come up in the acting world it's not easy so uh, that was cool to get that like mini backstory on her yeah and again i don't know if that's true right (laughs) we don't know (laughs) But in quentin tarantino's mind it is so it kind of just it makes you love her even more Mm -hmm. for kind of to figure out where she came from and whatnot uh so I don't know if this is the best time to talk about this, but so in the movie, Rick is doing a pilot episode for a show called Lancer, Mm -hmm. uh, which we will talk about more because we get a lot more about Lancer. Um, But he shows up to the film set. He's drunk. (laughs) He's totally just like hungover. He's inside his head, whatever. And he's going into this like make dress and makeup, you know, uh, trailer Trailer. or whatever. Mm -hmm. The director decides that he wants to give him like this long haircut and this fringe jacket and make him look like a hippie. And Rick hates hippies. Absolutely. Absolutely hates him. But also he's like, let's add a mustache (laughs) to which this becomes the saga of the mustache in the book, in the, in the movie. We just see the mustache. Right. Nothing. It's a pretty cool mustache. It's a really cool mustache, but the mustache has a backstory. In the book. It's so so funny. funny. So basically, so we've talked about his character. I think it's Jim Stacy or James Stacy, I think is his name. James. 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 James, Yeah, basically. Anyway, so he's the star of the show Lancer. And we find out in the book that he wanted the mustache because it gave him like stature. And he's obviously the head guy. So he (laughs) wants to be the one to like really like stand out. And he's pissed that the director gave it to um because what they call they both in book and movie they call uh rick's character the heavy who yes. is like basically the guy the that gets guy. beat up and like you know the bad guy in the, in the show so he's like the guy's like he doesn't deserve this mustache i deserve this right. mustache. he was ready for everyone to start having the his his mustache it was gonna be his like <laughs> Everyone's going to idolize him right, for this mustache. Right. But yeah, just too funny that we got a backstory about the mustache. Well, and the funny part, even in the book, there's a scene where those two are talking and they kind of have a weird relationship in the book. Yeah. And like at the end of the conversation, after Rick is like annoyed with him, yeah. he like looks at him and he goes, like, so what do you think of my mustache? 
She's like, do you like my mustache? Yeah. Knowing that it's probably like just eating. Right. Jimmy's because Rick pot. doesn't like the mustache. Right. He would rather not, but he's okay with it because he knows it's going to like yeah. bug him. So anyways, I thought that was hilarious. So when Cliff drops Rick off at the TV set, he also mentioned something about, um, you know, can you ask this guy if I'm stunting? Mm. I need to know if I'm going to stunt. So we kind of come to find out that, okay, he's a stunt man, but like he's not working all the time with him. So (laughs) in the movie, Cliff ends up going back to Rick's house. And this is where we, Brad Pitt takes his shirt off, which is really great. Um, (laughs) But while he's on the roof with his shirt off, he kind of gets this flashback of him stunting in the past. (laughs) So one of the big overlying kind of stories that we get, it touches on a, couple times throughout the movie is cliff killing his wife Mm -hmm. so in the movie we get kind of this little flashback of cliff and his wife on a boat and we see her just nagging him nagging him (laughs) nagging him and then he's sitting there with a shark gun right and then the then the scene stops yeah and that's all we get in the movie in the book we get the full scene (laughs) so we get the whole story in the book (laughs) And it's very graphic. (laughs) So in the book, he does shoot her. Mm -hmm. He did kill her. In the movie, it's very much like, did he kill his? Like, it's a rumor. But it's like, like, also, he probably did. He probably did. (laughs) So what happened is they were on this, like, charter boat, just the two of them. He has this shark gun Mm -hmm. that's like a big spear thing. She's nagging him. He ends up actually shooting her. And literally, like, rips her in half. Yikes. Like, rips her in half. But she's still alive at this point. So he's like... I don't know why I'm laughing. I should he's not like, be laughing. He's like, oh, gosh. Like, what did I do? But also, like, thank God I did it. Because Rick doesn't... Yeah. Not Rick. Um, Cliff, like, doesn't associate killing people to be that bad. Right. You know? And so he goes over to her in the book and, like, basically holds her, her two bottom, piece, mm-hmm. uh, bottom and top pieces together yeah. to keep her alive for a while. And they basically go down memory lane together about their relationship <laughs> and how much they used to love each other and whatnot. And then like hours later, the Coast Guard comes and the Coast Guard basically comes in to take her and she falls apart and dies. <laughs> Only from the mind of Quentin Tarantino. Only from the mind. And But like you would think in the book, you would think like, oh, he's going to be very remorseful. Yeah. No, the second the Coast Guard takes him on, he's like, oh, yeah, that was an accident. Sorry. <laughs> And then he never goes to jail. They never take him to jail or anything. Well, and this is brought up again. I'm sure we'll talk Mm -hmm. about it. But because he's a war hero, he's very much kind of like given the past. Like, for sure. We understand. It's okay. Yes. (laughs) So along those same lines, we then get a scene introducing Bruce Lee to this movie, which is another thing very controversial. Bruce Lee is not put in the very... Um, best light in this story. True. But especially not in the book. Yeah. The book is not. And so some people are, were upset about that. So in the movie, they kind of get into like a little tiff together. Friendly combat. Yes. <laughs> and, and when, right before Bruce Lee's about to like, kind of start to fight him, someone's like, you know, that guy like killed his wife and got away with it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, so it gets mentioned there again. Right. We do get a little bit of a, not backstory, but a little bit more info on Bruce Lee in the book and how he was not really liked on on scene with a lot of people. Well, he had this tendency of like actually fighting people and like hurting them. Yeah. And then people are like, 
these are supposed to be stunts. We're not actually supposed to hurt anyone. Right. And like, I don't think he understood it. He didn't like get it really. Like, I think obviously he's first a martial arts person, then a stunt man, I think. So it was very much like, and I don't, again, we don't know if this is true in real life or not, right. but he essentially was known as like a, uh, a no, no to work with because yeah. he was physically hurting people. Yeah. Like set. actors and actresses yeah. did not like, like to work with yeah. him. We also get another story and or more information about Cliff and how he was considered a ringer mm-hmm. stuntman and they would bring him on for a very specific reason. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> it was interesting because I've never heard of this. I don't know if you've ever heard. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's real again or not. Um, but basically he would be brought on if if an actor like, insisted on doing their own stunts. Um, if anyone was like a jerk to them or anything mm-hmm. like that, he'd be brought on to the scene to like basically cause even more commotion, act like an even bigger, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for lack of a better word, dick. Um, and that was his sole purpose. And then he'd get fired and on and, to the next And move thing. on. Yeah. And he didn't care. <laughs> but people would hire him for that reason. It's just so funny because like, and you kind of get it in the movie. He does have this nonchalant quality about him, mm-hmm. but even more so in the book. Like, nothing really phases no. Cliff. He's just no. kind of, like, there, and, like, he's happy being who he is and right. what he does, and he's, he's chill. <laughs> and if he dies, he dies. He, he dies, he, he yes. dies. <laughs> um, but this is where um, Randy just gets verbally assaulted by his wife in the movie. <laughs> just just effing do it, Randy. Effing handle it, Randy. <laughs> um, so, again, we've talked about this at length quite a bit throughout this about the Charlie Manson murders. Mm-hmm. So in the movie, we get introduced to Charles Manson um, when he pulls up in a Twinkie truck <laughs> up to kind of where Rick lives looking for somebody mm-hmm. that he knows. So in the movie, he walks up, he ends up going to Sharon and Roman's house and he asks, he just asks them, you know, are Terry or Dennis Wilson here? And they're like, oh no, they moved out. We just moved in. And then he kind of, he's like, oh, okay. Like I didn't know that. And he walks off. Right. And like in the movie, you're like, you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like that's freaking Charles Manson, you know? Well, in in the movie, I I personally got the impression that like he just used that as an excuse, yeah, to stake out the house, right? Which is not the right. case because we get the full Charles Manson backstory according to Quentin Tarantino. According to Quentin Tarantino, um, yeah, apparently uh, Charles Manson wanted to be a um, recording artist, yeah, a rock star. Which like what? <laughs> but I guess you know, dream big. Yeah. Uh, so the two people that he was looking for were record label folks that he wanted to essentially share some of his mm-hmm. his music to hopefully get him a re- record deal. I think they mentioned in the book that he was on a song for the, the Beach, Beach Boys. Boys. Yeah. Well, Dennis Wilson, who he asked for, was a Beach Boy. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's really what he's there for. Mm-hmm. Which makes a little bit more sense and is a little less like cynical because yeah. he's physically there to see other people. He just happens to come upon Jay and, right. and Sharon Tate. So that thought that was so interesting. And I'm like, I I almost wish it is true because yeah. it's like interesting to hear like a different side yeah. of what we already know about Charles Manson. But even so, like you say it wasn't, you know, it wasn't sinister, cynical. Yeah. Um, but it, it might have been a little bit because even more so in the book, they go into greater detail about how Terry, the record mm. producer, kind of screwed him over. Right. Like he had set up a time at Spawn Ranch to watch Charlie perform play. Yeah. and play. And like so he set up, Charlie set up a huge like 
like a stage like oh, it was gonna be like a whole day he right. would, you know and and then he didn't show up and then terry didn't show up and it really like made charlie upset and he was like embarrassed right. in front of all of his children yeah. and and stuff so do you think him going to the house was actually sinister like he was planning something i don't know if he was or... planning something at that point but like he definitely in the book they gave the you know the idea that he went there because he was upset, upset. true he was upset yeah. that terry didn't show up yeah in the movie it's very much like it looks like he's just trying to hang out with old friends or something. <laughs> right. So I just, I love that part of the book that yeah. we got such a backstory from that like 15 second clip right. in the movie. And it's like, oh, that makes so much more sense, yeah. you know? And even in the movie, at one point they go, just follow the, follow the path towards mm -hmm. the back. Well, in the book, he ends up going to see like a groundskeeper for that area right. who even knew even more information about where Terry and Dennis might be. Yeah. So... Very, very, very interesting. interesting. Um, so going back to Rick's career, um, in the book, it's really funny. So there is a movie that Steve McQueen made in mm -hmm. real life called The Great Escape. And there's this, which we don't hear about in the movie. Um, really, it gets touched on very, very briefly. But that Rick might have gotten that part. Right as Steve McQueen's part. Um, but they go into detail a lot in the book about what that actually meant and that Rick actually hates being associated with it. Well, and like, not only that, but it's like the one thing that everybody brings up to him. Like, hey, aren't you the guy that almost got the the role on The mm -hmm. Great Escape? Of course, like being an actor, that's not what you want to be known for. You want to be known for the things you actually did, not right. the things you almost did. And even there's one scene, I can't remember who he's talking to, where he literally lays out like, these are all the things that needed to have happened for me to actually get this role. <laughs> right. So like the fact that everyone says like, I almost got it is not realistic. Like this person needed to like break a leg. This person needed to do yeah. this and maybe I would have gotten it. So like, why does everyone keep harping on the fact that I almost got this role when I'm trying to like make yeah. something of myself and I've done actual roles that are good. Yeah. <laughs> and in the movie, we actually see, um, which I thought was very interesting. There is a scene where they, actually put Rick Dalton in the Steve McQueen mm -hmm. role within the actual movie. Yeah. That was the CGI part. Yeah. So it's just, it was so fascinating, <laughs> but I love that in the movie because it starts as this little story about how he might have gotten that role. Mm -hmm. And then it goes into, well, he might've gotten that role, but these other three guys were also on yeah. the list. And then it turned into, like you said, a giant list of all these things that had to happen. Yeah. And then he finally blows up about it. He was like, <laughs> no, like this, I hate this. Like, right. stop talking about it. So I thought that was interesting. Um, going back to Sharon Tate, you mentioned it earlier that there was a, um, a time in the movie where she actually went to go, she went to the cinema to watch mm. her own film. In the movie, it's very just like kind of innocent. And she's like, oh, I don't have anything to do. Like, I'm going to go see my own movie. Yeah. What I thought was interesting in the book, we kind of get a backstory of that film and that Sharon was actually like really worried about that film because it was a different type of film than she's ever done before right. or, or role than she's done yeah. before. She's always played the kind of what you would expect kind of like good-looking female mm -hmm. character, but the role in this specific movie, and I can't remember the name of the movie, but she's... Wrecking Crew. Thank you. The Wrecking <laughs> Crew. She's supposed to play a comedic character, mm -hmm. like a klutz who kind of is just all over the place. Um, she plays opposite Dean Martin, who is known as one of the best comedic 
actors right. of all time. So she was extremely nervous to like, she was afraid that people weren't going to think she was funny right. or that she didn't fit the role properly, yeah. which I loved to getting that. Cause to your point, like it kind of humanizes her a little bit more. We learn more like she's not at this like really um, confident actress. She's just somebody else who's yeah. trying to make it and really trying to like do her best. And I can't imagine being in a role that mm-hmm. A, you're not comfortable with, B, next to Dean Martin, right. and C, you ha- still have to, like, perform and, and yeah. do well. <laughs> well, and it's so funny because it's, like, in the movie, you see her, there's a... Also, side note, the movie that they show mm-hmm. in the movie is, is the, the movie? actual movie, and it's actually yeah. Sharon Tate, which is just ingenious. Yeah. Like, good Lord. <laughs> but anyways, in the movie, we see... We, while she's watching me, there's like a funny scene mm-hmm. where people are hopefully going to laugh at her and they do. And you kind of see her look around and she smiles. And in the book, we kind of get, she's like, all right, I'm going to go in and hopefully people will laugh yeah. at these scenes. So even now watching her in the movie, kind of looking around, <laughs> it takes on a whole different meaning. Yeah. <sighs> so great. I don't know. It's so funny. It's so funny. Um, Another thing that I thought was funny, um, it's same scene when she's watching the movie and there's kind of almost like a karate type part Mm -hmm. or whatever. It then has this quick little scene of her and Bruce Lee in the backyard. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, it's very quick. It's just her and Bruce in the backyard, Mm -hmm. which in the movie you're like, that was kind of weird. In the book, when they're talking about Bruce Lee, they talk about how he would just go to all these rich people's right. houses and pretend to teach them karate. And then they show Sharon Tate doing it with Bruce Lee. So it's just so funny. Yeah. So let's go back to Lancer, the mm-hmm. movie that that Rick Dalton is playing. In. TV show. TV show. Yeah. Sorry. So, but he he's really only supposed to be there for the pilot. It's the mm-hmm. one episode. They're thinking, all right, we're going to get this big kind of name. To, to, to Yes, yeah. to kick it off. So in the movie... You really don't know what's going on. <laughs> you really, you don't really know what you, you know. It's a western. Yeah. We almost get more about Bounty Law in the movie yeah. than we do about Lancer. Absolutely, and we get zero about ba- Bounty Law in the book. Right. Besides, like a mention here or there. Right. Um. After reading the book, we can tell you exactly what Lancer is about because there are full <laughs> chapters, yeah. literally scripts of of what this yeah. of this tv series I think is about this was my absolute favorite part about the book yeah i thought it was so cool it was a show within a book it was like a story within a story i yeah. love that well and then i was like i need to know what happens because you don't find out what <laughs> right. happens yeah so basically the gist of the show synopsis is there is a man named murdoch lancer who birthed or not birthed i should say <laughs> fathered two different boys from mm-hmm. two different women uh long story short they both get separated from him you know at, at a young age uh basically what he's trying to do he knows that this man named caleb ducat du- du- ducat <laughs> I'm saying it wrong. Decatu. Decatu. Thank <laughs> Not you. Not Dakota. <laughs> right. Decatu, who's played by Rick Dalton, um, is is jeopardizing his ranch and, you know, um, plans to take it over or whatever. So he has put out a uh, message to his two sons saying, if you come help me, I will give you $1,000 on the front end. Then once we've defeated, I will split all of my earnings with you as well as you'll need to help me for like 10 years to take mm-hmm. care of the ranch. We also meet um, Trudy's character, who is Mirabella, I believe mm-hmm. is her name. She's the young sister of the half sister of these two boys or men. Um, so anyway, 
it's a long story of these two guys come in. They one of them ends up being a old friend of Decatur's because he went by the name of Johnny Madrid, not Johnny Lancer. Mm. So he's doing like this like double um, agent. Yeah, double <laughs> agent work of like, okay, I absolutely hate my father because he was a dick to my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also like have loyalty to this guy but I want this money. So like yeah. he's stuck in like, who do I help? What do I do? That character is the Jim Stacy character yeah. that we see. Um, but very, very fascinating, mm-hmm. super interesting. Again, we don't really get to find out what happens. We do see the two main scenes that is talked about yeah. um, in, in the movie, but I loved it that. It was just so cool. Because <laughs> Rosha loves Westerns. <laughs> I was just going to say that, which is hilarious because I absolutely hated Pew Grit, but I think... I was super, super yeah, cool. So great. So along the same lines, though, Trudy, who is the half sister of those two brothers, um, she's a great little character. I know I didn't talk about her yeah. earlier, um, but it, it's so funny because we we get more obviously more in the book. There's a lot more dialogue between mm-hmm. her and Rick in the book, even though there is a lot in the movie. Um, but it's it was just kind of cool. We actually almost get in the in the book like a future scene of Trudy Mm. um, coming to find out that she went on to have a really long successful career. She never won an Oscar um, but Rick always cheered for her all the time which I thought was really cool that they you know added that to the to the book Um, but yeah that whole Lancer thing we get so much of it in the book it's so funny we get the story behind the sexy Hamlet comment (laughs) Um, because the director loves Shakespeare. Mm. Like there was just so much, so much more we yeah. got in the book that I thought was was great. Speaking of Trudy, that little bit that we get where she goes on to become mm. a you know successful actress, they make mention or Quentin puts his own name, which he's he does a few times in the book, but this one specifically stood out to me, where she goes on to play a character in one of his movies oh, in yeah. 1999. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I was yeah. like, of course you of all people talk about of yourself course. in your own in your own book. Of course. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about the hippies. It's so funny. If you look at the IMDb, like crew list, it's like squeaky, froggy, <laughs> pussycat. Like, it's just so yeah. funny. Cause that's all those names they went by. Um, so P- pussycat is like kind of the main hippie that we see throughout the film. Um, she, she runs into cliff a lot, you know, driving mm-hmm. around town and she's very young. Yeah there's um we're not sure exactly but we know she's not 18 <laughs> right but we actually get a pussycat backstory in the yes. book i can't remember her actual name i don't remember it's, it's like, not pussycat it's like eleanor or something yeah weird like that um yeah so what we understand or what we hear learn is that pussycat's dad picked up charles manson charlie while hitchhiking Mm -hmm. he somehow i'm assuming charlie is a very persuasive was a persuasive man because somehow convinces are you saying yeah (laughs) i I would say so roche i don't know i feel like he probably has some like i don't know like mind power powers Roche, he was the leader of one of the most infamous cults i get that but like i just i like i would like to hope that if i were one of these people i would not be able to be controlled yeah but who knows i will say in the book they do mention that that charlie said that he wasn't trying to brainwash these people i highly doubt it i highly doubt it anyway so yes she somehow convinces or he gets into mixed with uh pussycat's family um she ends up 
running off with him and they oh they have sex the night he comes over for dinner oh i guess i blacked that out of <laughs> yeah. my experience oh, yeah. um yeah so when she's they have 14 sex. right uh they run off together um her mom leaves her dad because of all of this mm-hmm. that happened <laughs> she i think at one point they return to the dad she goes back to right the dad. She, she goes back she apparently has second thoughts she goes back to the dad no she <laughs> Charlie tells her to go back because he was like, you can't legally run off with me because you are not emancipated. She has to go get married and then emancipate or whatever. Uh, At this point, uh, Pussycat's dad is like, I'm going to kill this guy (laughs) (laughs) because like he's basically ruined my life. Somehow, um, Charlie mind powers him uh, to essentially say it's okay. And then he's, then goes and tries to be part of his cult. Of the family, Of yes. the family. So, again, I, I don't know a lot about Charles Manson. Yeah. But he has some very powerful... But he says no. He can... His, so her dad well, does, not, does not get allowed into the cult. I mean, if he's smart, he doesn't do that. It's I, just so funny because in the book, she's telling Rick this story. Right. Or not, sorry. She's telling Cliff this story. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny because at the end, he's like, okay... So your dad picked up, picked up a hitchhiker, brought him to dinner, you slept with him, then left with him, then came back. <laughs> your dad wanted to kill him, then you married some guy, then divorced him, became emancipated, then your dad fell back in love with Charlie, you left with Charlie, and your dad wasn't allowed. It was just so yeah. funny. He's, she's like, yep. That's how it happened. (laughs) The biggest thing was like, your dad fell in love with this guy who basically ruined his life. Yes. And she was like, yep. Yep. That was it. (laughs) So, but I thought it was, I thought it was important that they added that because I'm sure that's a lot of the times that's how that happened. Very true. You know, because it, the, you know, more about the, the Manson family is that like, it was a lot of runaways. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of like kids that were, you know, didn't have ties to their families or that that's how they are portrayed. But in this story, she was not a runaway. Really? Right. She was still connected with her family. Right. So very interesting. <laughs> um, Spawn ranch where the Manson family lived, um, <laughs> lived a lot of the time. Um, we see in the, in the movie and in the movie, we get introduced to squeaky who we come to find out through the book that she was kind of like the head female mm-hmm. through all of this because she was in charge of keeping George, the owner of Spawn Ranch, happy. Right. In the movie, it's very much portrayed like she thinks this guy's gross. Like she's just playing this part. He's to keep blind. Him happy. So she's basically like, you know, I'll I'll do what I need to do right. to keep him at bay. But in the book, we find out it's a different story. Yeah, they're actually in love. She loves him. She loves him. <laughs> she everything she does for him, she does with love. She's happy to do it. They they have you know they talk about it in the movie. They have like TV time together at night, and she's happy to do that. She does have to you know please him every once in a while, yes. and she does it willingly. Um, but we also get a little bit more of of um, squeaky in the sense that mm-hmm. like. You know, she's happy to do this because all the other girls basically have to, like, slum it. They're in the dumpsters, dumpster diving for food. They have to, like, do inappropriate things to get food, things like that. She's actually living in a home. She gets a full-blown meal every single day. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. multiple meals, but, like, 
home cooked meals. She gets TV time. Mm-hmm. She's actually, like you said, head honcho, but also like she's doing it because she knows she has it good. Yeah. Um, and if if that means you know falling in love with George, then so be it. She'll yeah. fall in love with George. <laughs> well, and what I thought was kind of interesting along those lines of she gets TV time. We find out in the book like none of those other kids were supposed could are supposed to be watching right. TV because he wanted to cut them off from from the world. Um, and in the movie. They're all up at her house mm-hmm. watching TV because Charlie's gone. Right. So she kind of still lets them in every now right. and then. So I just love that we kind of got a totally different story than what is portrayed yeah. in the, in the well, movie. Well, and I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but we do get a scene, obviously, where Cliff goes to visit mm-hmm. George because they're, yeah. you know, he used to know him. And I liked that in the book, we got that scene through Squeaky's eyes. Yeah. As opposed to it just It was kind so of, cool. Yeah, it was cool to see because she calls him the Hawaiian man or something yeah. like that the yeah. whole time. Yeah, I did like how in the in the book we got a little bit, a couple different perspectives yeah. than we do in the movie. So, yeah. and that's kind of how the new Twilight book is. It's, it's Edward's that's perspective. Accurate. Which I think is just fascinating. Well, yeah, especially considering um, Bella's really whiny. But well, we won't yeah. get there. <laughs> we won't get into that. Um, just a couple more things I wanted to hit about um we do actually find out i mean throughout this whole thing rick is contemplating going to italy mm-hmm. to make spaghetti westerns <laughs> and Which are just italian westerns right <laughs> italian westerns uh we get even more of their italian journey mm-hmm. um we get this whole story about this other famous has-been actor yeah, that's right um that rick or that Cliff aids in his alcoholism and gets him fired. It's literally, they mention how they tell every single actor who plays with this guy, do not give him alcohol. And the one thing that Cliff does is immediately gives him alcohol. Literally, yeah, that's it. So it was kind of cool. We got a little bit more of Cliff's side yeah. in, in Italy. Um, lastly, I just want to talk about this because I thought this was... Wait, are you not going to talk about Cliff in Italy? About what? Well, that's another place where he kills some people (laughs) oh yeah Yeah. so um if you're keeping track that's two now that we've known the body count the body count is at two um long story short he's he's in italy um he meets this lady and um she she basically is like so these guys are like keeping watch of me um i'm a little afraid of them whatever she goes to the bathroom the guys come up to him and he they're like yeah we're gonna need you to leave um and he's like oh that's funny uh and like they get into a spat long story short he ends up killing these two yeah these two guys when the police come he essentially is like oh yeah so they were gonna um kidnap her and like do bad things to her so like i had to kill them again getting away with murder so we're at body count four now right it's so funny because i feel like i need um the movie's two hours and 40 minutes long i need the extended version i need some of these other like quit like quintessential quentin tarantino scenes that are in the book um speaking of quentin tarantino very stereotypical quentin tarantino scenes the end of the movie the end of the movie is very graphic, very yeah. Quentin Tarantino, but really just brings it all home. It um, is it it is what makes the movie. It is what makes the movie. Um, is basically we all know the story that the Manson that some of the Manson family came and killed Sharon Tate and her family or whatever mm-hmm. or her um friends. In the movie, genius, <laughs> genius. Since Rick is living next door. Quentin Tarantino has the Manson family take a hard right and go to Rick's house instead. And it is just like 10 minutes of just pure cinematic, just 
gold. Genius. Yeah. It's so great. Cliff and Rick end up killing them. There's and, three of them, right? Yes. Yeah. Ends up killing them. Oh, I shouldn't say Cliff and Rick. Cliff, Rick, and Brandy <laughs> right. end up killing these Not members to of the Manson family. The iconic blowtorch of the last The flamethrower. <laughs> yeah. The flamethrower. I mean, it is just it is great. It, it is. is great. Um, For all the people graphic. that left halfway through the movie, right. you missed that. <laughs> and it's just like, and then it's it's so eerie. Mm-hmm. It is the most eerie scene at the end because after the commotions come down yeah. and the cops have left or whatever, Rick ends up going up to Sharon Tate's house and yeah. talking to them. And yeah. it is just so eerie which is so interesting so up until this point like rick has seen them but never spoken to them never really interacted with them like you said at the end of it jay comes down and he's like hey what's going on and he like kind of tells him and sharon tate gets on the like intercom and she's like oh my god are you okay is everybody okay invites them up so this is his first time really getting to meet Mm -hmm. sharon jay i don't think roman's there that night obviously i think he was on um, he was in europe yeah he was in europe but like he, this whole time he's been like wanting to meet these people because they're mm-hmm. his neighbors. And finally he gets the chance to do it. Yeah. And, and it's like, she, you know, over the intercom, she's like, wow, that must've been terrifying. Yeah. And it's just, and it she's pregnant at that mm-hmm. time. Like, oh, it is just like gut wrenching. Interesting enough though, that whole thing, the whole thing that drives and brings it all together. That is movie gold is like, Two sentences in the first couple chapters of the book. Blink and you'll miss it. Baffling. I was like, he's <laughs> got to come back to it. I was like, he has got to come back to this. And the thing that, the thing that is crazy, because it's just almost like a little, like almost flashback thought. It of was somebody. wild. So I'm thinking now, now knowing that supposedly, again, the internet tells lies, yeah. that this book was written before the hmm. This was written before the movie. So I'm like, if that's true, at what point did he decide, I need to make that the ending? ending?" Yeah. It just, his brain is just boggles my mind. But it's just so funny because I was waiting for it the whole book. Same. I was like, all right, I can't wait to get into this scene. So I I almost felt, yeah, like I was like, okay, so he's just kind of like, putting it in there yeah. to like tease us a little bit and then he'll yeah. eventually get to it and yeah. he never does. So it's just crazy. Yeah. So anyway, so there's a lot more that I didn't hit on. A lot. But I thought that was a good, a well, good chunk of it. Can we talk about the ending of the book? Cause oh, even yeah. though it's very not different. like very yeah. different than the movie, I still really enjoyed the ending of the yeah. book. Uh, so basically what happens is the end of the book is, Sharon and Roman Polanski end up having a pool party at their house. (laughs) And as the guests are coming in, of all people, Steve McQueen rolls Mm -hmm. up. And apparently Steve and Rick knew each other from something else that they did together. So they actually have a really cool exchange of like, hey, remember when we went to the bar and we did this? And like, it was so much fun and da 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 So like they have that exchange. He never goes up to the house. Um, After he has his exchange with Steve... He gets a call from Trudy, mm-hmm. who this was like the night before they were going to do their big scene. And they have this awesome like um, uh, exchange of running their lines with yeah. each other over the phone that I absolutely loved. Yeah. What I read was that he was actually going to incorporate this into the movie, but it was like so um, like emotional, mm-hmm. like it was such an 
like impactful like scene yeah. that he just kind of was like it's almost like it'll taint it if I put it in there. That's so interesting that you say that because on the book, I should have brought the book over with me. There's a scene of Trudy mm-hmm. clearly at home in like pajamas on the phone. Oh. Which I'm like, that's not in the movie. Right. So they must must have shot oh, it. Oh, because you have actual pictures of the movie? Well, no, it's on the back cover oh, of okay. it. I'll show it to you. Yeah. It's, 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 it was like, what is that? I was like, this is yeah, not Yeah, that's what movie. I read was like he was going to put it in, but it was just so like powerful and just like yeah i don't know if you just felt like it didn't it wouldn't have gone with the rest of it or just, i mean or just for time maybe too because i read too. that like originally like the first cut was like five hours long yeah. i need the extended version <laughs> you know you gave me justice league right give me this right like yeah. i still i like i said so different from the movie ending mm-hmm. but i still thought it was really really yeah. good and ju- like just as powerful just in a different way yeah which i liked i think in the world of true crime he went the correct route um to satisfy everybody um so anyway so if we're talking about did the move did the movie i want to stop you there okay because and and i'm gonna i I didn't do this because i wasn't sure which facts you were gonna bring up but buzzfeed did an article recently it's the 30 hold on 37 differences between book and movie so i just want to hit a few of them that we didn't talk about so bear with me here Uh, buzzfeed should really like Put us in if they're gonna do these kind of articles, they should be like, if you want more, yeah, go to the movie. And I do think we we covered a good chunk of them, so I'm just looking to make sure. Um, yep, <laughs> Cliff got away with murder twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, they talk about oh, we missed a scene uh, where Pussycat's uh, character goes into this like old uh, couple's house and does what's called a oh, creepy crawl. You're right. That scene was so interesting in the book. So basically, she like. It, it was known as like a Charlie Manson thing to do. She gets into this house. She like sneaks in. She gets completely naked. She goes into these uh, poor grandparents home and into their room. She swaps out like a regular light bulb for a red light bulb. And then she goes absolutely berserk, screams, yells, like all this stuff, wakes these poor people uh, up. And then essentially like leaves. leaves. And I thought that was so interesting. I totally but apparently about that. it's yeah. part of like a creepy crawl thing that yeah. like Charlie's people, his family was known for, which I thought was interesting. Um, let's see. They didn't talk about the Playboy Mansion like party in no. the book. Um, let's see what else. There's also another scene. Speaking of Pussycat, in the movie, we get the scene where her and Rick are driving in the car mm-hmm. and she kind of makes a pass at him. Yeah. In the book, it's very graphic. Like she gets she naked. She gets naked. Yeah. <laughs> basically, it, it's like flip flop. Like in the movie, she offers to please mm-hmm. him. In yeah. the book, she's like, no, 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 no. You please like, me. You please me. <laughs> um, one other thing we don't, we don't really hear in the movie, but it's talked about briefly. Um, Rick Dalton is undiagnosed bipolar. Oh, they yeah. touch on that, which shocking kind of makes a little sense now that you know kind of who he is um, but back in those days you know it wasn't something yeah. that diagnosed very often that's very true um another thing that's like really pinpointed we talked about the bruce lee fight but uh cliff actually in the book is like fighting his urge to kill bruce lee <laughs> yeah. because he's such a born killer right he's like crap like i need i need to do this right but, you know whatever uh there's a scene i think that we talk about where cliff goes to the movies in the book mm-hmm. um Quentin Tarantino ended up buying that movie theater because oh, it was wow. like not doing well. So he he bought that, which I thought was interesting. Um, sorry. I just feel like th- there's so many little There's tidbits. so much we could go on yeah. and on. Uh, what else? Oh, Cliff- she was worried that I was going to talk too much. <laughs> Cliff considered being a pimp. 
Uh, at one point, I think he was yeah. in France, and he yeah. goes to this area where he learns all about what it takes to be a pimp. And then he's like, "Ooh, yeah, actually, that's a lot of work. That's a so lot I'm not of gonna work. worry about he's like, that. Oh, I have to sleep with all these girls a lot. <laughs> right? Oh, he gets away with murder for a third time, yeah. which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's pretty much it. All the other ones were like very minimal, or we've kind of basically touched on. But mm-hmm. I loved this article, and if we can, we'll we'll share it um, on social. But it's just so interesting because yeah. to your point, there's so much to cover and there's still like so even more, the, yeah. more to cover. <laughs> it's just, it's one of those, I think we were talking about when we did one of the Stephen King books, like you could literally sit here and do yeah. four episodes just on the little nuances yeah, 100%. And, the, and the little Easter eggs. Yeah. Like that's what I freaking love <laughs> about movies, man. Like I love smart movies yeah. and this is a very smart movie all of his movies in my opinion are smart movies Ugh, i'll be honest it's just <laughs> i i want to figure out another quentin tarantino movie we can do at some point you <laughs> right? know um but yeah so when we're talking about did the did the movie stay true to the book books stay true to the movie it is you just is. you just get more like yeah. if you love this movie i cannot stress Please read the book. It is so much fun to just get more of these characters. Timeline-wise, it's all over the place. It doesn't really go with the the timeline of the movie, which is fine. Um, And again, with the exception of the ending being completely different. Yeah, I agree. I think it really does stay true. We just get so much more content. And I cannot wait for the extended version (laughs) of it. Um, Okay, so are you going book or movie? (sighs) I have to go movie. You can't not. You can't I can't not. not. So, I mean, and I don't think I've I've had this before. I mean, granted, this is a different type of yeah. experience, but the book made me love the movie even, even more. more. Yeah. And I don't think I can say that about any other yeah. title we've covered. Um, just when, after I read the book and I rewatched the movie, I was like, I... It makes I the experience it. of watching the movie. Right. Literally. Yeah. Because I, I think I told you this the other day, our boyfriend Ray and I watched it and I kept being like, Oh, I know the backstory there. I know, <laughs> and after like two or three times, I could tell that he was kind of annoyed or I thought he was. And then he paused it and he goes, so like, do we get a backstory on them too? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, like, what is it? I want to know. Like, it's just so fascinating. Like, I think everyone wants to know so much more about these characters. I agree. I think, like I said earlier at the beginning of this, like, it was hard for me to read this or listen to this book because it is kind of written like a screenplay. Um, And I think it was a little long for me. Which yeah. is hilarious because the movie's pretty long, right. it's two hours and forty minutes. But I think the movie is just so brilliantly done. Yeah. You don't notice. It's almost just a good companion to the movie. It is. Yeah. And the movie, like, you kind of almost go into a trance. You totally do. And then you're like, oh god, I've been sitting here for two and a half hours. <laughs> right. you know? It's wild. Yeah. Wow. How do you feel? Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm sad it's over. <laughs> I know. Uh, if Quentin, if you're listening, oh, and um, I need like, another one. Yeah, we'd like you to write another one of your movies. Yes, All right, that's it for this one. Make sure to hit subscribe on your podcast app. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a rating and leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Boovie Girls. You can also email us at theboovygirls at gmail.com. And like we said earlier, we are on Patreon. All you have to do to become a patron is go to patreon.com forward slash theboovygirls, where you can get access uh, to our rom-com level, which gets you episodes a day in advance you also get access to our karen reviews and then our drama level gets you what i already mentioned you also get a sticker for joining a shout out in a future episode and access to our bonus content including our booby cereals speaking of yes up next week we will be releasing episode one 
of Nine Perfect Strangers, but yes. then that's all we're giving you. <laughs> the rest will be on Patreon. Um, for the low, low monthly value of $3, what can't you get for $3, Hannah? You can't get a Starbucks pumpkin cold foam <laughs> brew thing that I got today for $8. Speaking of, did you see they have a new drink? I'm willing to try Ooh, it. Oh, it's like an apple. Apple crisp or apple something. I don't think I... Apple and coffee just... I don't get it. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's coming up next week on the uh, regular feed. Yes. Thanks for listening. And remember, don't judge a book by its movie. Or a movie by its book. Oh. <laughs> Bye. Bye.